Craft and Career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we explore various approaches to craft and career and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm happy to pick up right where we left off with Jennifer Harrison Newman, Yale MFA, Artistic Director, Producer, Educator, Choreographer, Performance Artist, and the Artistic Director for the Yale Schwartzman Center. Jennifer, welcome back to the Craft and Career Podcast. So good to be back. So I we, we left something pinned before, and I wanted you to come back around and give us a better sense. I think I was suggesting something along the lines, you know, uh, halfway between like, is it okay to focus on one thing and, and put all of your, you know, interest in, in the 10,000 hour rule and all that kind of thing? Or how can one have this kind of hybrid engagement that it's going in multiple directions, but that's still okay. And it, it, it's in no way handcuffing or, 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 you know, limiting the possibilities for someone to find a career-based success in any of these directions. I wanted to give it back to you because I think I sort of, you know, I, I misstepped there. Yeah. And I don't know if it was you or me or both of us, but, you know, we were kind of getting to something. And then I want to think about this idea that you, everybody has a different path. There isn't one path, really. And that's true. That is certainly true. And there is the path of the person who singularly focus on the one thing and that's what they do. And, and I still hesitate to believe that it's true that one, somebody does one thing only. They think that everybody, if there's always something else that somebody's got cooking and they are able to manifest it in a certain ways, but like the thing that they're super, super known for is one thing. And that's what they're like singularly focused on. I mean, whether that's fully true, I think is debatable. Alternatively, you know, I'm often inspired when I, you know, read biographies or listen to them on audio books and, you know, really understand how multifaceted a person may be. Like, for example, one of the last biographies I listened to was Mike Nichols. It was a biography. And I found it so fascinating to learn so much about an artist that I really only knew about, like, because of specific films or specific Broadway shows. But then to learn so much about like what their early practice was and then kind of the how the practice kept shifting from, you know, writer, like performer, writer to director and then, you know, shifting with even in that musicals, plays and films. So, you know, even that is like inspiring. Like, see, you don't you know, you, it's it's always changing. It's always shifting. And the love of the of the kind of the word may have been Mike Nichols real craft, but it manifested in all these different ways. And so there wasn't just one path that he chose to do it, but the root of the, what the love was and the pursuit of was there in different spaces. So I always get inspired by those types of things. I think a helpful way to, to, to frame that is the idea of uh, the flexibility or adaptability or willingness. One, an artist knows their truth and, the, and, and wherever they're coming from, could certainly take on a lot of different forms and 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 take on a lot of different disciplines along the way, but the sense of adaptability and willingness to I think you mentioned something in our last talk about you know finding finding the pieces along the way or, or seeing the things that you're inspired by and, and pulling those in, like not to shut oneself off from from just one bucket or one mm-hmm. one line of inspiration mm-hmm. and to recognize that that mm-hmm. openness and that that that's actually part of the creativity right the, the ability and willingness to engage broadly and let it spill out the way that it spills out um i think that's an important point so i'm glad you i'm glad you mentioned it <laughs> yeah 
you know, there's there's um, artists, yeah, like being open and like just even thinking about a visual artist, I'm just going to put one person in particular where it's like known for a very particular thing. But when the artist starts to go, oh, wait, I really want to push back against that. Now I'm ready to do this other thing. And like now I have to go through this whole exploration moment space, trying new materials. I've got to open, you know, push it. It's super uncomfortable and vulnerable. You know, like nobody really understands what you're doing, but you're like, I really, I'm curious about this next thing. It's like to move from photography to like objects, you know, it's like that transition that one has to to make, but it becomes a whole new exploration. It becomes a whole new adventure. And that's, that's, what's fun. I think. Yeah. Well, and, and your story, right. With dance and performance and directing and producing and choreography and education and administrative, um, you've got all of these in, in your background. Now, we're t- we, we were just kind of discussing sort of the flu- fluidity of being able to transition between and, and the spillover that could be created in, within any of those categories. But I wonder, too, if you, from your perspective, if you could tell us more about what does distinguish for you some of those different engagements or what, what is different on the performance side versus the producer side. And we talked about hats being worn and that sort of thing. It'd be important for us to better understand from someone who's, who's, who's done it. Um, how you might have to shift a little bit or think about things differently in those different roles. Yeah, 100%. And especially it's really becomes apparent when you're self-producing your own work, (laughs) you're like, (laughs) I'm my own producer and I'm performer and I'm like, and I'm the director, you know, all that stuff that, you know, becomes really apparent when you're like, I have to not have a conversation about the box office right now because I'm in the room and I need to make decisions about where I'm standing in space and what I'm doing to get from A to B, you know, and, and you need somebody else to be making those decisions and having those conversations. Right. So I, it's, that's very real. And I think that also I can be sensitive now to an artist knowing when they're in that zone, they're like, they don't need to be hearing from me right now about X, you know, because they're in this zone, they're in rehearsal mode and we'll have that conversation later. So it's interesting when you're in like a production process and there's a certain time of day that's always left for that kind of like, now let's talk about X, right? It's yeah. called the production meeting that happens after the rehearsal. And then you, everybody gets together and talks, but during rehearsal, it's rehearsal time and everybody's doing what they need to do during that time. In that, in that direction, would you recommend, because I, I do think this is something that every artist has to deal with on some level that, that there's at least, and then this goes back to the basic craft versus career question, right? That there's at least the question of I'm in process at this moment, I'm creative, I'm brainstorming, I'm doing, I'm, you know, it's generative. And then there's going to be when the door has to open and you've got to figure out then what I do with the thing or, or how do I connect with someone about it? Or do you have any recommendations on the best ways to keep a natural and healthy divide and, and have the right energies available in the right places? In, in, any thoughts in, the, in, in that direction? Yeah. I mean, I think immediately I start to think about artists that I've worked with in various ways who I think are more successful than others in their ability to be in creative space and then also understand the other needs that are going to be required of them, you know? So then they're able to sort of go, this is my zone. And now I, but I also know what information, you know, my tech person needs. I know what information my props person needs. I know what information my producer needs. And I, and I can communicate that to them. Those I think is different than someone who's like, I can't, deal with, and even I don't know what any of that is and someone else do it. 
Right. And I think that version is the slightly probably an older model, maybe, or there was a a moment in time when that model existed. But I think that like the ability to to really understand all the parts and to know when you can impart information to them and to maybe carve out in your process the time that you do that. And that you also like Twyla Tharp has an incredible book where she talks about her creative process, where she's really carved out her day. She's like every day at this time, it's for me to work out my own body. This day, part of the day is for me to be in studio with my dancers. This part of the day is my research time. This part of my, she's like, so then it's a kind of a compartmentalization. But I think that having that kind of structure is very helpful to anybody because it gives you your windows Now, having said that, it can be really hard. And I know for me, sometimes you go into the studio and it takes a minute for your, that other brain to shut off, to let the other brain open up and start working. Right. And so building that time into going, okay, an hour of like just doodling, doodling, doodling so that the brain shifts. And then you know that you can eventually drop into the other part. So just understand, and that takes practice and and sort of self-knowledge, right? Like I know that about myself. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to go into the studio, X, you know, half hour is going to be me just doodling. And then it'll eventually get there and being gentle and generous with yourself of like today in the studio, I just needed to lay down and take a nap and nothing was generated because I, you know, whatever. And that's fine. And then the next day, you know, it will happen and it'll merge and it'll merge. But like, that's part of the, I mean, a writer can have that same thing where they were like, yeah. this, the page stayed blank all my session. Right. And the editorial <laughs> process. I mean, having, going back, you know, there's the generative and then there's trying to actually figure out, does this, does this even make sense? But, totally. but you don't want that voice to come in too soon it's too soon <laughs> exactly and exactly right it's the same in the, in the studio for anybody i mean anybody making and i and i love that recently i was kind of like given the like light bulb around like even a researcher showing up to their lab every day that is a practice that is like right. you fa- they face the same fears they have they the fame the same kind point. of yeah i just i love the being able to see research as a practice yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. And actually words like practice and craft and that sort of thing, you know, the metaphor actually is not just a metaphor. It's actually a direct comparison. Yeah. So one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about was this idea of the strength that you bring to the table in an administrative role, in a more industry kind of based role because of the creativity of your background. And how often do you feel that? And in, in feeling that, would you recommend to some of the creatives in our audience that they they consider the possibility that actually in some ways their craft will benefit from an industry-based career and certainly an industry-based career can benefit from the skills they bring from their craft. So I 100% think that that is a value. I have been solely a vessel for a creative process. I've been, you know, on a Broadway stage, like my job is to show up and do the work, yep. <laughs> like do the, what you know, I'm told to do, be in the spot that I'm told to do. I have been a person that uh, has made their own work and then engaged with spaces to put that idea out into the world. And now being a, someone whose job is to sort of be a space to create conditions for other artist makers to present their work and to you know find it in conversation with other disciplines. So I feel that the value that I bring 
marketing by having my performance creative background into this more administrative space is partly that I can a start to imagine what some of the questions or concerns are going to be, you know, right. So then already kind of going, Oh, right. This is going to be a concern. This is, let's try and adjust that before it becomes an issue, you know, like not necessarily negatively, but we can think ahead. Then even understanding in a conversation with an artist, what their needs are and understanding that their needs aren't bizarre. <laughs> you know what I mean? That they're like, Oh yeah, that has a, there's a real value to what they're asking and what their needs are understood. And then I think to an extent, alternatively talking to an artist and having my side going, okay, you want to do this thing. So let's get clear on X, Y, Z so that it can help your process move forward. You're going to need some clarity here. needs more clarity here, right? Helping the artists then refine their idea or at least the way they communicate it so that they can actually achieve their goal. So I, I do think it's a, it's a value add 100%. Yeah. And do, did you ever feel at any part in your career as you were looking in directions to make sort of a transition away from Broadway performer and now looking at, you know, producing in other roles, you know, potentially out there, did you ever feel that you needed to sort of address or overcompensate or say, Hey, I have this performative background, but that's actually a strength and look at these other skills that I'm bringing. Did, did you ever get any friction or tension um, fr- from, from that direction? That's such a great question. I feel like I'm, maybe I've blocked it, but I don't know that I had that kind of pushback. And even if I did, I feel like, you know, one example that comes to mind goes sort of more back to what we were talking about of like being a, a hyphen, a multi, a hyphen and, and this desire for some to want you to just claim one hat. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where I received my most kind of like people were not understanding who I was or what I did. Right. That's where I got it. Mostly it was just like, we're looking for this. And then, yeah. you know, talk Which to me about what you checking? do. What am I like? How, are, you know, and they're like, are you really going to be happy here? That's more of the thing that I gotcha. was found myself frustrated by was that it was hard for people to figure out where to put me. So that I became very clear to me that I was like, oh, right. Not every place is the place for me. And that finding those places is what was actually what I was seeking to do and finding ways I had to sort of make those spaces for myself. And then when I found them, um, then it was like, oh yeah, that feels right. You know, and that sort of takes me even to the Schwarzman Center, yeah. right? When the opportunity to be here to, to, to work on, on this new project on Yale's campus was brought up to me. It was, it felt like so many things were like, yes, yes. And yes, for, for who I was. Right. Well, yeah, I, actually, I'd, I'd love to hear more about the Schwarzman Center, about, I, we've kind of, we've been talking around like this major engagement that you have at Yale um, as the artistic director at the Schwarzman Center. So maybe tell our audience a little bit more. I think our Yale audience probably knows, but our other audience might not. Um, what is the Schwarzman Center? What's it doing? And, and most importantly, what are you doing with the Schwarzman Center? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So the Schwarzman Center is basically the first time that Yale has had a student center on campus. It took commons, the idea of commons, and sort of retrofitted it from a place of gathering for a meal to a place of gathering for a meal, for studying, for watching um, comedy, for having a drink, to, you know, practicing a new dance, creating a new project, and having conversations that bring, you know, the building sits at the crossroads of campus. So it's this opportunity for cross-campus connections, cross-campus conversations. Cross-school. Cross-school, cross-discipline, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, that kind of like being a belly button of campus 
you know, essentially what it is. And um, I don't know that there's any place like it, you know, that is, is as much a student center as it is a space for performance to engage with performance and, you know, at the level that we're trying to do it here. Mm -hmm. And then your role, what, 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 what's all the amazing things that you, you have going on? Yeah. So as the title's associate artistic director, and there is a sort of envisioning process of how to bring and use the arts, whether it be from campus makers to world-class makers and our New Haven makers, their process and their work into conversation with a number of other conversations that are happening on campus, right? So there's this envisioning process of how to activate a building with multiple spaces and have it be bursting with thinking and doing and making and interacting and receiving. It's a big project. It's got you know big ideas and big goals. And we opened it during a pandemic. <laughs> so because yeah. we all know that the, the timing, yeah, yeah, the timing is pretty um special. And so you know. The, the silver lining on that is that a lot of the kind of work that we need to do to create the, the conditions, we were given that time, you know, we were slowed down tremendously. And I think that that was all a positive and, and it's all working in our favor. Yeah. And I know, I mean, one of the things I've, I've, I've personally, and I know our office has been impressed with Schwartzman's Center's willingness to partner and to collaborate and to reach across campus. Any anything in, on the uh, happening in those directions that we should know about with uh, new projects or new collaborations that are on the way? Yeah, I mean, um, certainly in terms of one can always go to our website schwarzman.yale.edu to see what's coming up. And you know, in the in the immediate future, we are one of our signature programs. You know, like I said, we started in a pandemic, so things were you know definitely kind of internal and virtual. And now we're little by little beginning to kind of expand out of that space. But one of our signature programs is called Sessions, and it's a space that allows you know twelve strangers to come to a table around a particular topic. And so that really does allow just like the first seed of a kind of of ideas to percolate. We have a session coming up that is a conversation with our scholar in residence, Neftali Williams, with the artist Basira Khan, who happens to be in residence at Artspace New Haven. So I'm really excited to be partnering with a local artist, well, local institution and an, an international artist and our scholar in residence, Neftali, who is a sociologist, but looks at action sports and in particular skateboarding. So oh, wow. yeah, so that conversation would be really interesting because they'll be talking about sort of making spaces, you know, sort of going into spaces that are not traditionally welcoming to all bodies and how to make these spaces of belonging. So Basira is an artist of color, Muslim descent. Neftali is an African-American man in skateboarding culture. So there's like, they're just bringing these lenses, these conversations, oh, okay. these lenses to the conversation, which would be really fascinating. Yale Quantum Institute, we're partnering with, with a conversation with their first artist in residence also. That will be really fun to look at arts and quantum and what that conversation is. <laughs> I'm really Quantum art. Quantum art. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, I'm trying to think, you know, we'll be engaging with, I think what will be really exciting is like for everyone to tune in March 30th, we'll be revealing a lot more of what's coming. Okay. Fantastic. And, and 
I also um, back to the craft side and, and, and your more your personal process side. Um, anything on your horizon that we should know about? Any any projects that you have? Oh, thanks in, for in asking. Works? Thanks so much for that. I mean, what's really exciting is that you know I mentioned the pandemic recently, and everything that I had as a um, that was out there in the world as a freelance maker paused. You know, it was canceled. You know, is actually what we experienced. We experienced everything getting canceled. So it was very de devastating for that community and that sort of the field. And now little by little, all of that is starting to come back again. So I'm really thrilled that one of my projects will be out in California at Zellerbach and at the LA Phil. Um, Zellerbach is at UC Berkeley and then at the LA Phil in Los Angeles. So I'm working with a number of people on a, a music project called Place. And Place was created by Ted Hearn and Saul Williams and a YSD alum, Patricia McGregor. So I'm really thrilled to be a part of that process. So that's coming up. And then locally, you know, I don't have anything at the moment locally. I was able to do quite a bit. I think, you know, up till now, even though the pandemic, I was able to sort of collaborate with a few folks. So kind of got some things brewing in my mind and, okay. um, you know, working with working with some local people. And, you know, when, when we're ready to reveal what that's going to be looking like, I'll let, I, I'll let you know. Fantastic. And um, is there a place, maybe drop in the show notes or something, a, a link where we can send people to to find out what's going on with you? Oh, ooh. I mean, no. <laughs> I don't have a website. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, but no. So the answer is no. <laughs> That's fine. That's that, that, Maybe we should talk about We should talk about that. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about that. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, it is always a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for uh, taking part in the Craft and Career Conversation. And yeah, we look forward to, hopefully we can get you back at some point, uh, particularly maybe when you got your, your next thing coming up and, awesome. and we can help promote. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jennifer. For our faithful audience, we'll be coming back with our final two episodes of the first season of the Craft and Career Podcast. It's been a great run so far, so keep your ear out for our final guest before summer hiatus. Until then, as always, don't be afraid to use the word career and always stay crafty. Thank you.